0: Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work, a desire for always learning and improving, and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. And this week, I want to dive into something a little bit that is part of a book that's coming out, as well as a bit of a workshop that I'm working on uh, for an upcoming event. And this is to talk a bit about how we see the blend of science, technology, engineering, and math, what we now would regard as STEM programs, are now becoming much more about STEAM programs, introducing the arts into this. Is it important to introduce the arts and creativity? And for those people that kind of live on both worlds, how does this play together? How does this work together? Is there something important for those of us who are in those technology fields and these really hard sciences fields? How does this, how do the arts contribute to that? And conversely, for those of us who are also in the arts and creative space, what are the benefits of knowing and understanding technology? Because I am a firm believer here that there is definitively a blend between the two. And there is a necessity of looking at the two. Now, everybody has certain proclivities, certain interests. And for many of the people I know that are definitively heavily into the arts and the creative side of things, especially people that do it for a living, surprisingly enough, a lot of them, um, really have to embrace the ideas of the sciences and the technologies to really make that work, especially in the world we're in today. You know, we, if we look at digital artists like Ariel Burgess, if we look at people building games, uh, if we look at a lot of things in these kinds of spaces, technology is really a key driver for us today. And conversely, for those people that are building these kinds of systems, these kinds of technologies... How do the arts come into play? Well, obviously, if I'm working in a gaming industry, if I'm working in social media, I'm working in marketing. I mean, even if I'm working in areas such as accounting and finance, there's a lot of ways that embracing creativity and recognizing that as a part of yourself can really be a contributor and a driver to how you look at and approach the world. And in looking at it and working on some of these pieces, uh, I was going back. I remember going back to my earliest days of starting to learn about programming, technology, um, even going back to when I was a kid. And one of the first people that gets brought up all the time is Ada Lovelace, right? Uh, Her name was Augusta Ada King, the Countess of Lovelace. And that's how she became Ada Lovelace. And we all think about her as being one of the progenitors of programming. There's a lot of idea that was she the first programmer? Did she develop the first real program? Um, Was she the second programmer? Because most of her work was based on that of Charles Babbage, who she was working with and an understudy to, uh, how did that all come into play? And as I was going back through and looking at some of this, one of the things that that really jumped out at me, and I don't know that I had ever really paid attention to it before, uh, was who her parents were. And her mother was an education reformer um, and Lady Byron, um, the Baroness Wentworth. And her name was Anne Isabella Noel Byron. Uh, She was the Baroness of Wentworth, Baroness of Byron. um, And she was very much an educational reformer she was one of the early people looking to drive and really look to educate everyone Uh, and also how we approached education she was a very technologically driven person she was a very scientifically and mathematically driven person and by all rights apparently was a fairly cold person especially about her daughter and it was some of this that drove Herself to embrace her daughter's interests in mathematics and have her tutored by some of the, the brilliant minds of the time for her to learn and understand mathematics. But I think part of the thing that becomes important here is understanding that push and that drive came because of who Ada's father was, Lord Byron. And Lord Byron, when I, and, I, and over time, I, you just sort of skim over titles and things like this was the Lord Byron, George Gordon Byron, the poet, um, the artist, the major creative figure of the early 1800s. And so look at the idea of having somebody who is the child of somebody who is driven in technology and education and knowledge and wealth. And on the other side, somebody who was to be generous, let's call them a free spirit and a creative person. Now, the reason this becomes, I believe, really important is this. Lord Byron left when um, Ada was about a month old and never saw her again. So he did not have a direct influence on her upbringing, her childhood, you know, in the ways of a traditional parent. But he had a lot of indirect effect. His mother, or her mother regarded lord byron as being a bit insane let's be you know let's kind of be polite about it but really did regard lord byron as being insane she looked at his behavior his embrace of creativity and the arts was definitely an antithesis to her and so when he left um and they separated and ultimately divorced um obviously it was a bit scandalous at the time but as it goes so in this time, you have um, Lady Byron. She's still carrying that amongst her titles. Um, obviously, a person of wealth, privilege at the time. But part of what she did was take her hatred and loathing of everything about the arts and creativity. Uh, she did everything to make sure that Ada was focused on the sciences, engineering, math as it was at the time and the heavy tutelage. And even so, even though she tried to make sure that Ada never was, or at least minimized her exposure to great literature, a lot of the things that, that the Countess would have considered frivolous, uh, that would consider part of that arts and creative space of her ex-husband. If you look at the level of influence that's there, and yet still look at the person that Ada Lovelace became. Because when you look at her in this well-rounded space, you know, we have the old argument of nature versus nurture. What are the things that are inherent to the person that come from the genetics, that come from the raising and the spirit? And what are those things that come from the environment you're raised in? If we look at how the countess, raised ada if we look at how she really did everything to make sure that her child who in many ways really was separated from her mother just as much as she was her father um but if we look at the tutelage she was under if we look at all of how she was raised and taught you have somebody who despite the fact of had every focus in really the sciences and engineering still had that essence of her father there, that embracing of arts, of creativity. And I think in many ways, that absolute rejection of her mother against anything in those creative spaces meant that she went to go crave that just as much as the sciences. And this is one of those things I think gets downplayed a lot of the time when we look at Ada Lovelace. Now, what do I think this becomes important? If we look at and read many of the papers, many of the biopics, they, they don't really dive into this. But one of the things that I think is probably true here is that while Charles, Charles Babbage built the earliest forms of these technologies, the earliest computers, some of the earliest papers on the ideas of mathematical and algorithmic cal- calculations using technology, when we basically fundamentally say that he was creating early computers, he really only looked at it from the aspect of the math. He only looked at it from, can this thing crunch numbers? All of which is extremely important, obviously. But one of the things that it does look like is that Ada Lovelace did, is she took his work. She understood the numbers. She understood the math. But she also had that other part, which is the artistic side, the creative side, that embracing of the other qualities of life. And because of this, she held and embraced the science, the technology, the hard sciences of the time. But she just as much held and embraced notions of creativity, even metaphysics. And it looks to be that that is the blend of knowledge and skills and interests that meant that she took and looked at the programming and the way that the technology worked and said, well, if I can use this to create numbers, if I can use this to calculate, if I can use this for mathematical calculations, I can just easily use it for music. I can use this for other uses. And that I think is really the important part. It's not that she truly was the first programmer and wrote the first program because in many in many times when we look at things in many of the arguments, everything she was doing was derivative of Babbage's own work for his own technology. I think that makes sense. But the reason I would regard her then as being that first real developer, that real technologist, is because she took it and looked at how do I use this beyond the original intent? How can I look at how this works in the world? How can I look at how all of these moving pieces work? And how can I make it something more? And this capability, this notion, this idea of this brand new technology that is just now being argued in the courts, the halls of science, the halls of technology, because this is a period of great innovation. Uh, you know, if we look at the the technological advancements going on during this period of time of movement of gears, you know, steam powered things that could really truly start to be automated in that part of the industrial revolution. If we really consider that it was, how do I look at things creatively? How do I leverage these knowledge, these interests, I mean, in certain ways, we can equate Ada to people such as Leonardo da Vinci. One of her earliest projects, one of her greatest interests in looking at the science, the technology, was on the anatomy of birds, the anatomy of insects. She wrote a book called Flyology. And the driver behind this was she wanted to fly. She wanted... And the nickname that she held was the Lady Fairy, uh, from George or for Charles Babbage. That notion of creativity, that drive for wanting to fly to be free. I think there's a lot here, both in just that nature as well as truly kind of the underlying message of this young girl needing to be free, even though she had all of this great detailed knowledge and interests. So looking at all of this, looking at how all of those pieces kind of come together, I think is really fascinating. And there's a lot more to Ada Lovelace's story, and I think it's it's really worth anybody that's interested to dive into it and dive into that rabbit hole. But why I think this is important to me and the and part of what I'm diving to in this is if we look at people who embrace that creative nature as a part of themselves and as a part of their whole selves, right? It's not just about that notion of, I want to be creative to go write or to go paint or, or, you know, create music, these things during this one piece of your life or that piece of your life. I think that the message that we can take away from this is that we can't escape that creative part of ourselves. And that repression or really destruction of that creative part of ourselves, it's always going to find a way to survive, even if we we really try to crush it over time. And this is one of those things that it's not necessarily an intentional decision to crush over time, as much as it is the pressures of life. The notion of taking care of the house, taking care of family, taking care of, of work, doing all the things that we have to do. That notion that creativity is something that can be set aside. And it's one of those things that when we look at how we progress, how we go through life right now, uh, I've been doing, as I have done for years, a lot of talks for people that are creating and writing first books, uh, people that are getting into or getting back into creative output. And these are people that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I was talking for a group where a lady in her 90s is working on her memoir, and it's her first book, but she's always wanted to write, doing some projects right now with people that are putting out children's books that are retired teachers. These are things that they've always wanted to do, and they're waiting till now to get to them to do them, and it's that notion of the creativity that's always wanted to be there, but they've always put those things aside until now when they, quote-unquote, have time. But even so, uh, even with people I work with today, things that go on when I'm working in technology, when I'm working in business, when I'm working in any of these areas, the people I find that are truly the most successful, the ones that get the most creative, the ones that find the new ways to do and deal with things are the people that take and can embrace both parts of themselves that part of themselves that has skills and knowledge in business or technology or certain, you know, traits, things like this, but also embrace that creative notion, that creative side, and make those two pieces integrate and work together. Now, sometimes we're always on that needle sliding back and forth, right? Sometimes it's just, I need to be heads down and make the thing work. Other times, it's how do I approach things and look at them in a new, different, and creative way? And this is the reason that I believe, even if you're not working as a full-time creative, even if that's not your goal, your desire, your dream, but your dream is to still do something creatively. Now, again, most of the time I'm talking here about the business creativity, but even in business, there's a tremendous amount of creativity that makes the difference for those that are the most successful. It is a way of looking at life. It's a way of approaching everything. And again, it's one of those critical quantity and quality of life type issues. How do you look at it? How do you embrace it? So for those of you who have kids or you yourself are trying to explain why your creative interests become so important, um, we've got a, a gaming event coming up. And one of the things that's coming up is that notion of why can gaming really contribute to somebody moving into technological science, these kinds of areas of research or work and study? Why can somebody sitting down and playing games all day long have a career? And how can this really have an influence on that, both for good and for bad? And that's part of what brought me back to studying about Ada Lovelace is that notion of we have to have those outlets in life. And so, for example, one of the things that's going to come out of this is that notion of if you're sitting down and gaming, for certain people, they're going to be inspired to go to that next level. It's not about I'm going to go become a streamer of gaming. I'm not going to go become an influencer or something like that. It's much more about the notion of, I've played it. I've been working with it. Now I want to know how it works. I want to know why it works. I want to know what it takes to go from an idea to putting a game out the door. Or what does it take to go from an idea to getting a film out, a song, a book, any of these things? Because there really is a business. There is a mechanism which goes behind taking and creating anything from both the parts that are the hard work, the hard science, the hard development of it. And the other part of it, which are those creative skills, those soft skills, those ones that create something and make something that could be functional, spectacular. So until next week, this has been Creating Pros, and I'm your host, Jim Nettles.